At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Now it's time to talk about climate change and living in the city, in particular, a city called Commerce. Ben Ehrenreich has a report. He writes about climate change for The Nation, and he's the author most recently of The Way to the Spring, Life and Death in Palestine. We reached him today out in the desert north of Joshua Tree. Ben Ehrenreich, welcome back. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. Well, you open your most recent report on climate change for the nation in an unlikely place, a working-class city southeast of L.A. called Commerce. I would have said it's in the belly of the beast, but the activists you talk to there don't like that phrase. Uh, tell us about Commerce California. Yeah, I think, you know, when we, we tend to think of, of places in which you can see the effects of the fossil economy and climate change. You might think of Mozambique, you might think of Bangladesh, you might think of Haiti, you might think of Central America or the Lake Chad Basin in Africa. But I think what struck me um, on thinking about commerce, um, which is in Southeast LA and is a heavily industrial community, was how it's very much been in the crosshairs of the fossil economy for really for generations now. It and the communities around it, places like um, like Southgate, like Vernon, are residential areas, mainly mainly working class, mainly Latino, mainly immigrant, but that have been largely are not thought of by city and, and county and state planners in terms of who lives there, but ter- solely in terms of their in- industrial um, use. And mainly that has to do, in the case of, of commerce, with transportation. Commerce is right off the 710. There's a big Union Pacific rail yard there. There's another uh, BNSF railroad yard right up the street. Um, and those are intermodal yards where the containers that come in by the hundreds of thousands into the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach are put onto trucks, which go up the 710 freeway to those intermodal yards where they're then put onto trains and brought out into the rest of the country. Let me Um, ask you, what's in the containers? Everything, all the junk that, uh, that we love to buy. I'm actually, I, I defined a place with uh, with good cell phone reception. I'm sitting in front of a, a Walmart on Highway 62 right now, <laughs> okay. and probably everything in that store, or if not everything, a lot of it, came in on, on containers from factories in Asia. This is sort of how our, our economy works. There's, there's cheap labor overseas, 
and there is cheap fuel, which allows all of these goods to be shipped, uh, you know, burning diesel fuel into our ports, where it's then put onto trucks and onto trains, also burning diesel fuel, and then shipped around the country. From the car you're driving to the parts that are used to replace the parts in the car you're driving to the clothing you may be wearing to, you know, the things you cook with and the things that you're cooking, a lot of this stuff is coming through the ports of L.A. and Long Beach. I think L.A. and Long Beach process 40% of the container traffic coming into the U.S. and the whole country, just an enormous quantity of goods. Now, we're told um, we're told that these are... You know, the basis of the economy of much of Southeast L.A. and that these are crucial to the lives of the working class people whose jobs are centered around the containers and moving the containers out to America's other Walmarts. How do these containers connect to the carbon economy and to the capital economy? Those containers got to move and they're moved only with diesel fuel. Um, And the fact that we have this entire economy which is entirely reliant on goods moving so easily and cheaply. All of this is inconceivable without massive use of of fossil fuels. You know, I I think one of the things that makes commerce and communities like it really interesting is that when we use the buzzwords that economists like to use and that have entered, you know, all of our skulls um, through a sort of process of media osmosis, words like growth, which we we are are trained to assume is a good thing. You know, what growth means, economic growth means, it means those containers moving around. It means people buying and selling. It It means retail sales going up at the Walmart. It means goods making it into people's homes and moving around the country. This is the economic model that we work with, that, that growth is this sort of unquestionable good. But what it means for, you know, very directly for communities like commerce and the communities around it, and slightly less directly for all of us in, in terms of climate change, is shortened lifespans, that the possibilities of, of people's lives are, are foreclosed by maladies that could otherwise be avoided, things like asthma, things like higher rates of cancer um, that communities like commerce have been dealing with for generations. You know, I I have a a pet peeve about the diesel engines on the trains. It's It's a small thing, but they don't shut off the diesel engines in those train yards, and the diesel engines produce a tremendous amount of air pollution, which goes all over Southern California, but of course, most intensely on the people who live in commerce. Yeah, I, I think the the calculation of the railroads is that it is cheaper to leave their engines running all the time than to shut them off and start them up again. So in those rail yards, there are locomotives idling. And if you've ever been to Commerce or the communities around it, you know some of those railroads are really right up against people's backyards. So you can have locomotives just a few feet from yards in which kids are playing, which means huge amounts of technical terms, particulate matter. But in LA, we all we all know it. It's the you know the black gunk that gathers on your on your windows on your window cells. It's the stuff that makes it hard to breathe in LA. It's the stuff that makes the the air so uh, so gummy and and foul, and it uh, you know has a a severe effect on people's health and lifespans. So when you went to Commerce California, you talked to activists in a group called East Yard Communities for Environmental Justice. First of all, what is the East Yard? East Yard is the railroad yard, the Union Pacific Yard, um, which is in the city of Commerce. And it's one of these intermodal yards. And it's, it has a, a huge amount of real, real estate. 
and uh, a lot of people are not aware of the extraordinary like authority and independence that the railroads won in the American West. So that you know they have their own police forces. Um, they have they have extraordinary amounts of power, both financial and and institutional. And tell us about the the uh, East Yard Communities for Environmental Justice. What kind of group is this? What are the pe- who are the people? What are they like? It's a small grassroots group. I've, I've known the, uh, the founder for, for many years. They're now in the hands of a super dynamic uh, director named Mark Lopez. And East Yard has, from a, an absolutely grassroots community level, been trying to organize people in the neighborhood, basically to, you know, on, on matters that are, that are life and death there, um, on trying to reduce the amount of pollution that is pumped into their air. And this is an extremely basic kind of organizing, and it's a kind of organizing that's, that's proved absolutely necessary because at every level of government, until residents in communities like Commerce start making a lot of noise and start you know, uh, showing up at meetings and insisting that they are, be taken account of, nobody takes account of them at all, um, at the local level, at the county level, um, at, the, at the state level. At every level of government, whether it's the railroads uh, or the ports or the truck companies um, or the the big polluting industries nobody is thinking much about the the people in the ways of the of these industries they're just thinking about keeping the money flowing so it's you know over the years uh, East Yard has through consistent organizing by being there by uh, demanding that their voices be heard has become a, a enough of a player that you know all of these local planning agencies know they have to take them into account and um, and what what do they uh, propose about dealing with the the immediate crisis of, of air pollution and and the longer term issues of the carbon based economy there've been a number of fronts that they've been working on over the years uh, one has been working on issues ex- exactly like some of the things we've been talking about in terms of locomotives idling in the in the yards another has been fighting the expansion of the 710 which has been a you know a big push by all parts of of local government for years now to you know have less less trucks and less diesel trucks going through their neighborhoods you know but they're also working on on the kind of issues that we associate with uh, with very different neighborhoods like trying to get bicycle paths in and trying to get green space in and i think the bigger picture for you know which was interesting and exciting to talk to Mark Lopez about was things like, you know, talking about energy independence and his sort of constant insistence that whatever plans people come up with to deal with to deal with climate change, whether it's the Green New Deal or, or we call it something else or it's something else entirely, that it not just be a deal made between corporations and government, because that kind of deal has been made for, for many generations in, that com- in, in, in this country, and that kind of deal, not just in this country, and that kind of deal always leaves people like the people in commerce out. It always you know, completely bulldozes over communities of color, immigrants, working class communities. And you know, one of the things that he talks about is is energy independence and and and, and communities taking control of their own of their own energy resources. As, as he put it, there's a in Wilmington, which is not just outside of the area that they work in, which is where the big refineries in. You know, people always joke that you get a job in the refinery so that you can move out of the refine out of Wilmington, so you can move far away from them. Um, and people should be able to stay with their where they are without you know having to risk their lives and their children's lives to do so. Um, and for that to happen, people are, people who live in these places have to be taken into account. 
seems like the combination of the port of L.A. and the transportation hub would would make for a uniquely bad combination uh, in terms of local pollution. Is there anything like southeast L.A. anywhere else in the United States? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I, you know, I think L.A. is the uh, as as a port is you know, like I said, the the biggest one. But I think places like the Houston area, um, where there's both a major port and um, is a major hub in the oil industry and the refining industry, faces similar similar issues. There was a just I guess it was now about two weeks ago there was a fire in one of the refineries there which uh, people were told for, I believe it was for more than a week to not leave their homes because there were talk, you know, deadly levels of benzene in the air were released as a result of this accident in one of the refineries. You know, so I think there, there are neighborhoods like commerce scattered in industrial areas all over the country. And I think all of them share this kind of, and I hesitate to use this word, but privileged view of how our economy works and doesn't work. You know, if you if you live in a place like commerce, you have an understanding of the functioning of the fossil economy that many of our you know members of the pundit class and policymakers, you know, the most expensive elite educations can't come close to. You have no choice but to understand how the system works. Ben Ehrenreich. His article for the Nation is titled "The Road to Climate Cata- <clears throat> The Road to Climate Catastrophe Runs Through a City Called Commerce." But if we listen carefully, the solutions to the climate crisis also come from commerce. You can read it at thenation.com. Ben, thanks so much for talking with us today. Uh, it's always a pleasure, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.